You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's great to see all of you here this afternoon. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And since Easter here at City Church, we've been um, going through a sermon series that has been focused on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7 through 9. And specifically, we've been asking a couple of questions. We've been asking the question, who is Jesus? And what is our response to who Jesus is? You know, in many ways, it's it's very similar to what John Mark just shared with us. Come and see. We have been uh, taking a look at who Jesus is together. And, And then we've been asking this other question of, in light of who Jesus is, how do we respond to him? And if you've been with us uh, over the last several weeks, you will know that we've been a little more focused on the first of those questions, who is Jesus? And we've talked some, but it's usually towards the end and and in less detail about this question of response. But we're going to flip that around today. We're going to focus on this question of response, because that's what Jesus does in the passage that we're going to read. And the reason for this is that um, Jesus had been doing his thing. He'd been going around teaching and miracling, if that's a word. And uh, there had been varied responses to Jesus' teaching and his work. And some of Jesus' disciples particularly were scratching their heads over this. They were confused that people weren't responding with enthusiasm and excitement towards Jesus the way they were. And so he tells a story, he tells a parable to help them understand that uh, as people come and see me, there are always going to be varied responses. Some people are going to be enthusiastic and want to follow after me, and other people, it's not going to make much of an impact at all. And I imagine that if you're like me, this has been true in your life as well. I still remember in high school when I first heard about Jesus and his love for people like me, and right away it made an impact. My life changed and I wanted to follow after Jesus, but I had friends who heard the same message, who sat in the same basement, and it's as though this news about Jesus didn't make any impact at all. I scratched my head over that. And if we think about it, it's still the same today, isn't it? That uh, you may be here, you may hear a message, you may hear someone teach from God's word, you may read something, and it pierces your heart, and it draws you closer to Jesus, but someone sitting next to you, someone in your own family, someone living in your house, may hear the exact same thing, and no impact at all. It kind of falls flat. Why is that? Well, it's an old question. It's a question that Jesus answered as well. And the point is that it matters how we hear the word of God. It really does. Because there are varied responses. And Jesus is calling us to a response of faith. Let me read this passage that I've alluded to now. We're going to pick up with uh, Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. 
These words are printed in your worship guide. You're welcome to follow along there. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open your Bible and read silently as I read these words aloud. This is God's word for us. Here's what it says. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, we ask that you would send your spirit now to be our guide into all truth, to help us understand these words and to help us apply them in our lives. We all have physical ears, but today we pray that we would have spiritual ears that hear the truth about Jesus and his love, about Jesus and his grace. We ask that you would do this for us out of your great love for us, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a fairly familiar parable that I've read for us, maybe uh, the most famous parable in all of Scripture. That's up for debate. Um, And it's a parable that should be uh, easy for a pastor because it's one of the few parables that comes with a Jesus-provided interpretation. In fact, you might be thinking, well, we have a parable, we have the interpretation, it it could be a short sermon, but you would think wrong. (laughs) And, you know, it's known as the parable of the sower, and sometimes it's also talked about as the parable of the soils, or the parable of the seed among the soils. And the setup is, is fairly straightforward, right? There's a sower with seed, and that seed falls in four different types of soil. And Jesus is using this to describe the four different 
reactions or responses to his teaching and to his ministry, to him as the word. And, and so today we'll walk through those four different responses. I was thinking about it a little bit this week, and, and some of the imagery here is a little bit distant. I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's pretty accessible for us, but uh, farming practices is, have changed in 2,000 years. None of us were around in the ancient Near East. And so I thought, you know, if we updated this parable a little bit more to our context, to our place, it would be that a fan resident went out to plant an alley garden. I love alley gardens. We've lived in the fan for about 15 years in two different houses, and in both of these houses, I've cultivated a little alley garden. And it's been a very different experience at these two houses, because at our first house, the soil was fantastic. At our current house, the soil is garbage. And so I have a little bit of an insight into what Jesus is talking about here. We have to understand the nature of the soil to understand the nature of the response to Jesus. Well, what is the first response? What is the first type of soil that we come to? It's here in verse 5, and it says that a sower went out to sow his seed. And here we have to imagine uh, the sower with a handful of seed, where he just uh, scatters the seed, kind of throws it out into the ground. It's not placing a seed individually into already cultivated soil. That was not how it was done. But he says, the sower went out, some of the seed fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And then if you jump down to verse 12, Jesus explains what this means. He says, Uh, the ones along the path are the ones who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved you see the first soil in the first soil the seed is snatched it's snatched away by the birds it's snatched away by the devil by satan every farmer even a good alley gardener knows the threat of birds Right now, in my alley garden, it's raspberry season, and the birds love to eat my raspberries. There's one particular mockingbird that I'm in a feud with right now, and I've put netting over the raspberries. I haven't resorted to uh, one of those owls or one of those, uh, I, I need to buy a fake owl, I guess. That's the lesson here. But whether it's the fruit itself, like the raspberry, or the seed that is sown on the path and hasn't sunk into the soil, the birds are after it. And later in the summer, for me, it's going to be my fig tree and the squirrels. There's nothing sadder than seeing one of your precious figs that you've waited all summer long for in the mouth of a squirrel. The point, of course, is that there are predators out there that want to snatch the seed away. And whether it was Jesus' time or my alley garden, the idea is the same. And the point for you and me today is to recognize that Satan is real and that Satan wants to snatch the word of God out of our lives, out of our hearts, before it's ever had a chance to make an impact. This is a spiritual battle that Jesus is talking about. And too often, we uh, don't realize the power and the presence and the activity of Satan in our lives and the lives of others. Why do some respond and some don't? Well, some don't because Satan has snatched the seed of the word of God away from them. 
And the way that Satan acts, we need to be aware of this as well. We have some clues from elsewhere in Scripture, even going back as far as Genesis 3, because there, as Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden, Satan came and tried to snatch faith away from them. Do you remember what he asked? He said, did God really say? He sowed doubt when God wanted faith. Or, we can look in just a few chapters earlier in Luke's gospel where Jesus himself was led out in the wilderness and tempted by Satan. And what did Satan do? He twisted the very word of God. Another technique that, that Satan uses to snatch the word from our hearts. This slight twist, this bending of what it says and suddenly faith falls away. That's the first soil this long trajectory of a spiritual battle where Satan is snatching the truth from our hearts. Well, the, if the first soil is the seed is snatched, in the second soil the seed is scorched or the plant is scorched. Here we read in verse 6, it says that some seed fell on the rock and it withered away. And then Jesus interprets it down in verse 13 and he says that uh, these are those who have no root and they fall away when testing comes. So I told you about my alley garden in our current house, and the first year I went out there to uh, try to plant this garden. I was full of uh, hope, hope springs eternal, but it didn't go so well that first year because there was no topsoil. There was very little soil there, and so I was kind of scraping through gravel and this really fine dirt to, to try to put seeds down in the ground. And you might think, well, why not build a raised bed? Why not bring in some topsoil? Why not bring in some compost? And you forget one very important point about me. I'm very cheap. And I didn't want to have to pay for soil. And so I planted these seeds in the ground, and at first they seemed to be doing fine. They grew up, and, and I was uh, thinking about the tomatoes and the zucchini and the cucumbers that our family was going to enjoy. But then the heat of the Richmond summer came and all those plants withered because there was no soil for their roots to grow down in. They withered away. And, and so what Jesus is saying is this is the picture, this is the metaphor for the second type of soil. And when he's talking about soil, obviously he's talking about our hearts. So spiritually the metaphor here is of hearts that initially respond to Jesus. But there's no depth. There are no roots. And when the hard times come, when testing comes, they are exposed and they wither away. You see, I think this is very poignant for many of us, even this year. We're looking back over the last couple of years because some of you have friends where you have watched their faith wither away in much the same way that Jesus describes with this second soil. And you notice that their faith has withered away, but I wonder if you noticed before that whether their faith had any rootedness. Had you noticed the depth of the roots of their faith? In gardening and in our hearts, what happens under the surface is vital. 
we often only see the, the plant that grows up from the soil, but what's happening subterraneanly is absolutely important. And we live in a world right now that encourage us, encourages us to live in the shallows. It encourages us to live on the surface. It encourages us to live with hardly any depth at all, to just posture, just to post, to like, and to retweet. And it doesn't operate on the level of the depth of our hearts. There was a book, it was written almost 12 years ago now by Nicholas Carr, and it was called The Shallows. And the subtitle was, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. We have been rewired, we have been remade in a way that fosters shallow roots. But the way of faith, the way of responding to Jesus, as this parable tells us, is to have deep roots. And good roots, of course, develop through watering, improper watering. You know, here's another danger that I have as the alley gardener, is I don't have a sprinkler system. That's too much work and money. Uh, see point before about me being cheap. So usually to water our garden, it's me, kind of Nicholas uh, Cage style from raising Arizona with a garden hose, just pointing it out my vegetables. And I do this for a little while, and they get damp, but it's not a good soaking rain, as my dad always talked about, a good soaking rain. And that's what plants need. That's what the seed needs in order to establish roots that grow downward. Because if something is watered only briefly, the roots will adjust to that. And they'll know that the water is only going to be at the surface, and so they will have very shallow roots how true that is of our lives as well. When spiritually, we only water our lives and water our hearts briefly and shallowly. When difficulty comes, when testing comes, we will have no root to withstand the withering sun and difficulty. So many of us are shallow-rooted with no biblical or theological depth in our lives. And if we only let Christ into the superficial parts of our hearts, not into the, the deep, dark interior, if the gospel doesn't reach there, then when testing comes, we too may fall away. A seed is snatched, a seed is scorched. The third uh, soil that we come across, the seed is choked. Here we read in verse 7 about the seed that falls among the thorns. And then in verse 14, Jesus interprets it and he says, well, yes, this is uh, those where the word of God is choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. As I read through this parable a few minutes ago, which one of these soils stood out most to you? I'm guessing that scorched probably grabbed most of you. It feels close. We can think of someone for whom that's true. But I want to offer to you that this is the one we should really be worried about. Choked. Because I think you and me were much more likely to be in danger of the seed of the word of God being choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. That's the context of City Church. We are people with so much, so much anxiety, so much wealth, 
so much leisure time for pursuing our own pleasures. And there is a huge danger that in the midst of all of that, the word of God and the message of Jesus and his grace is choked out entirely. You know, it's inevitable that the news of Jesus comes to us among thorns. We live, after all, in the day and age of Madison Avenue and advertisements everywhere we turn and social media offering us a picture of the good life everywhere we turn. But think about advertising. Think about social media. It, uh, it traffics in cares, riches, and pleasures. But Christians are to be people who traffic in Jesus and in the Word of God. Now, these things, these cares, these riches, these pleasures, for most of us, they're, they start out as okay things. They're good enough. They're innocuous. But as they grow, they begin to choke out our spiritual lives. They begin to choke out Jesus in our lives. And there's an utter lack of fruit as a result. You know, one of the things, another thing that I'm terrible at as an alley gardener, I'm not really making the case for being a green thumb, am I? But here's another thing I'm really terrible at. Thinning plants. Do you know what it is to thin out plants? So I, I plant my row of radishes, and they say, uh, plant them, let them grow for two or three weeks, and then you need to go back and thin them out. And that means pulling up some of these radish plants that I wanted so badly to see so that the other plants will have space to grow. And if you don't do that, the plants can't develop their fruit or their vegetable. And they'll just go to seed. I'm terrible at thinning the radishes in my garden, and quite frankly, I'm terrible at thinning my life spiritually too. What this means is to pull out those weeds and those thorns that are threatening and choking the fruit of Christ in your life the cares and riches and pleasures, all those things that your friends are doing and your neighbors are doing, all those things that are lifted up and celebrated, but in the long run, choke out the fruit of Christ. Cares, our word for that today is anxiety or worry. For many of us, worry has replaced faith in Jesus Christ. Worry can choke out faith because it takes all of the oxygen from the room. Riches, that's wealth. Jesus says elsewhere how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard to have a fruitful life spiritually if we're focused on earthly riches and most of us, most of the time, are more keen on displaying our wealth, our financial wealth, than we are our spiritual wealth. Pleasures, well, that's comfort. That's leisure. That's always being at ease. And I think this is particularly dangerous. I feel it particularly coming out of two-plus years of COVID. This time where we have had the excuse to not do anything that we're not completely comfortable with or doesn't make us 
feel pleasure. The life of faith, Jesus tells us again and again, is a life of picking up a cross and following him. It is not a life always filled with pleasure. And then if we're seeking that kind of life, it will choke out the life of faith in us. You know, physically, choking is really scary. Have you ever been choked? Ever thought that someone was going to choke you? It's ridiculously scary. Why is it spiritually we aren't as concerned about the pleasures and cares and riches of the life choking out our faith? Snatched, scorched, choked, the last soil where the seed falls. Well, this is the good soil where the soil holds it fast. Holds fast. It says in verse 8, some fell into good soil and it grew and produced a hundredfold. And then in verse 15, Jesus tells us, as for that in good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the last soil, it's the good soil. This is the soil that Jesus is saying we should all aspire to. Be the good soil. And notice that it says that the good soil holds fast to the seed. This is the first one that's active, not passive, right? It was snatched, it was scorched, it was choked. But here the seed is doing something. The soil is holding fast to that seed. And this word here that Jesus uses, it's actually wedding language. It's marriage language. That's what holds fast is. It shows up other places in the Bible, in the New Testament, to talk about the way that a man is to hold fast to his wife. It's abiding. It's clinging to. It's holding on so tightly that you're never going to let go. It's intense language that Jesus is using to describe the proper response to who he is. At our old house, first alley garden, alley garden number one, we had good soil. It was great soil, really. I was told by a neighbor who had lived there longer than we did that there used to be a giant oak tree that grew back in this alley and it had died or it was cut down, but its roots over decades and decades had done this wonderful work to the soil conditioning it, making it rich and fertile. And so when I first planted that alley garden, everything grew amazingly. And it had nothing to do with me. It was all a gift. The good soil was a gift. It was grace. And that's true with the word of Jesus as well. The good soil isn't something that we uh, work up on our own. A heart that's receptive to Jesus is a gift that God gives to us. And yet there's this mystery of faith that the heart is given to us and yet we can cooperate to till that soil, to fertilize that that soil, to add compost to that soil so that we can hold fast. The mystery of faith, the mystery of responding to Jesus is that it's something that's given to us and it's something that we participate in. The mystery is that we hold fast knowing that we are held fast. 
We sang that already this afternoon in God's highway. I'm holding on to you, Lord. You're holding on to me. That's the dynamic of the good soil. That's the dynamic of the marriage of faith. That we are holding on with all of our might. But our fingers are just like the fingers of a little child wrapped around the hand of their father. And it's the father's hand that's strong. It's his grip that is sure. Friends, I think the point of this chapter, I think the point of Jesus' teaching is that we would strive to be good soil. That we would hold fast to Jesus. And, and the, the thing I want you to notice about the good soil is that really what makes it good is that it avoids the pitfalls of the other three types of soil. And the language that Jesus uses in the explanation kind of brings that out. He talks about bearing fruit where uh, the, the fruit that's choked will, uh, or the plant that is choked out never bears fruit. He talks about patience uh, echoing back to the, the seed that is scorched in times of testing doesn't have patience. So how can we be the good soil? How can we avoid the problems of the other three soils? Well, the first is that we need to say, Satan, no snatching. Yes, that's an allusion to Dora the Explorer, where there's a character swiper, right? Swiper, no swiping. My children's shows are about 10 years out of date because of the age of my own children. I realize that Dora the Explorer is not a hot show anymore. But I'm serious about this point. What would it be like if in our lives that, that phrase went through our heads that we said to Satan, no, you're not going to snatch the word of God from my heart. Do you believe that Satan, as First uh, Peter says, is like a prowling lion looking to see whom he may devour? We need to be poised to oppose Satan in his work. Satan wants to snatch the word from you by distracting you when you sit down to read the Bible. Satan wants to snatch the gospel truth from your heart by when you think about God, uh, Satan will cause you to feel shame and guilt. Say you're not enough. Satan, be gone. That's step one to be the good soil. Well, what about the second, this scorched soil? How do we counteract that? Well, we grow deep roots. We grow deep roots into the Bible, into community, and into Jesus. There are days where I get home from work and I walk into the kitchen and our sink is filled with houseplants. I'm like, what's going on? Why are there houseplants in my sink? Well, it's because my wife knows that in order to properly water these houseplants, uh, she has to uh, fully submerge them. She has to irrigate them, right? She wants the water to go down deep. She wants the plants to sit in the water so the roots can go deep and suck that water up rather than the way that I water my garden. That's what we need in our lives. This deep irrigation of the gospel, this deep irrigation of the word of God, where we sit with God in the presence of the Holy Spirit for a long time and let the truth of his word fill us. 
Where is one place this week, one time this week, where you could stop the incessant scroll of life in the shallows and instead let God water you deeply? The third thing we do to avoid being choked out is we need to weed our lives. We need to thin our lives. We need to weed out cares and riches and pleasures where they threaten Jesus. Here's the big problem with that, though. Can you tell the difference between the plant and the weed? That's a big challenge for any gardener, right? If you've done any weeding, which I hope you have, it's a, it's a joyful experience. There's that, that question where you come and you look at something and you're like, oh, that looks pretty good. Is that a plant or is that a weed? Is that supposed to be there or is that not supposed to be there? Do we have that same discernment in our spiritual lives, our lives with Jesus, where we can say, yes, that's a weed, I'm going to pull that out? Because we will remain fruitless. We will not mature and bear good fruit unless we weed out those distractions, those cares, those worries. So this week, I encourage you, find something, it could be big or small, and pull it out of your life and pull it up by the roots so that Christ, the seed of Christ, may be planted in you fully. Here's where I'll end. You know, the greatest delight of being an alley gardener is when the fruit comes and when you get to share the raspberries or the tomatoes or the cucumbers or whatever it is that you're growing. There have even been a few Sundays here where other gardeners at City Church who are much more proficient than I am will bring their extra produce and it'll be on the table in the back and they'll say, take it if you want it. That's what life in the church should be like. As the word of Jesus is planted into our hearts and bears fruit in our lives, we share it with one another. Not just within the church, but outside of the church as well. They see that fruitfulness. They taste of it and it is good let us be the good soil who receive jesus and produce fruit in its kind let's pray father we thank you for this passage and we pray that by your grace we would uh, know how to respond to christ that we would receive i think even of this uh, young man that john mark was talking about who came and saw jesus time and time again and it finally clicked, and he finally received Jesus. He met Jesus. He had heard for weeks and weeks, months and months, and years and years, but then he heard differently. I pray today for us that we would hear differently, and that the truth of Jesus and his love for us would penetrate to the deepest parts of our hearts so that our lives would be full of fruit. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.